Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 12, and I'm talking with author Janae Marion Tate about her book, Tea Magic. You know, we've often seen tea reading done in films, and often, you know, you read about it in books, but it's a real divination practice that many people use to get answers to their questions. Tea also has other magical and esoteric uses. Today, we're talking with author Janae Marion Tate about all aspects of tea, and I really enjoy getting a chance to pick her brain. She began learning the secrets of kitchen witchery at an early age from her mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, and now she applies her knowledge to herbs, oil, magic, and kitchen witchery to her loose leaf tea and spice business, Kitchen Witch Gourmet. Here she infuses tea with magic, wellness, happiness, and love to brew the perfect cup. She also teaches tea leaf reading and other tea magic in the U.S. and in China. I'm now going to take you to my conversation with author Janae Marion Tate. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. I'm Dean Jones, your host. Today I'm talking with Janae Marion Tate, author of the book Tea Magic Spells, Rituals, and Divination in Your Cup. This book came out last week. Janae, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you, Dean. Thanks for having me. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with the term, what is tea witchery? Well, tea witchery is very much just witchery but using tea as a medium. So it's no different than if you were a kitchen witch and you were brewing up tea as a medicinal spell or a comforting spell. It's just really focusing on showing people how you can use tea in your practices. We've all seen um, illustrations in books or depictions in films or TV of people reading tea leaves. Can you talk about that a little bit and the um, art of divination with uh, uh, tea, tea leaves? Sure, um, tea leaves go back um, a millennia really. It started um, out with like coffee ground reading. So let me start with uh, tessography. That's the technical word. And it is the art of reading sediment in the bottom of a cup. So be it tea leaves, coffee grounds, or even wine sediment. And I like to take that a little bit further than just the, the leaves or sediment along the cup. I believe that the tea itself, the water in the tea, has memory and motion. So as you sit with your cup of tea with your friend, your grandmother, your mother, and you're having a conversation, the tea begins, the water itself begins to vibrate and move the leaves around. And I feel that that's a really important aspect to reading of the tea leaves because it's your voice and it's the energy in the room that propel the movement of the leaves and how they land on your cup, which then opens you up, opens it up for interpretation. Now, I like uh, many people like to celebrate a dumb supper at Samhain uh, for uh, my beloved dead. It's the tradition we have in our family. In your book, you talk about that with a tea party. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Okay. So I love tea with the dead. Uh, first of all, um, there I would be hard pressed to find grandparents out there or great grandparents that don't have a relationship with tea. Tea is a very... Um, very honored and an important drink and as it's gone back through history through like the Boston Tea Party how important it was to to not be taxed on tea how important it was to have tea you know it's um 
something that our grandparents and great grandparents definitely had at their table and and revered as as something comforting. Coffee came later, though we think coffee is more popular in in times right now. That might be true in some households, but in general, it has been tea. Tea is the second most consumed beverage in the world. The first is water. So that's how important tea is and how it goes back in family. So bringing it to tea with the dead, if you were to sit and have a cup of tea with your great grandmother who has crossed, I guarantee that tea would be something that she would enjoy. And so bringing that into a tea party for the dead is simply to acknowledge them, have tea with them, ask them for advice, ask their vibration to carry through on the water and the tea leaves themselves, hopefully leaving messages for you. It's um, the ritual I have in the book is really about um, inviting your friends over to honor their dead as well. So you come together with your tea maybe a picture of your ancestor, place it on the table, treats and sweets that they would like, you know, similar to Dia de los Muertos, but a little more tea party centric. And as you go around the table and you honor your ancestor with the tea and you talk about them and you bring their energy into focus and you bring them into focus and you, you share your memories of them, and you share your tea with them. It just is a really, really beautiful tea party, tea ritual to share with your friends and with your loved ones that have crossed over. So I wanted to ask you, um, in your book, you differentiate between the six different types of tea and how they are brewed. Can we talk about this a bit for our listeners who are unfamiliar uh, with these differentiations? Okay, so tea, Green tea, yellow tea, white tea, black tea, it's all the same plant, okay? There is only one tea plant, Camellia sinensis. And from there, the different types of tea are created by how, that they, are, how they are processed and dried. So green tea, or let's start with white tea. White tea is baby, baby buds that are coming up off of the tree shrub, which tea come, grows on a bush. They can get to be a big, giant bush, but ultimately tea is a bush, bush. So the white tea comes up off of the branches and they're brand new and they look white because they have all these little silvery hairs on them and they're plucked right at that, at that budding process. It's very mild in flavor, very floral, a little bit earthy, grassy, um, light in caffeine, but still contains caffeine, but very mild in caffeine, very mild in flavor. Green tea is probably the most popular tea in Asia. And green tea is um, a little bit more mature leaves that are coming up off of the bush. They are plucked and then they are either quickly fried or steamed. Uh, fried is Chinese and steamed is Japanese method. And it maintains the green hue or green color. And that is the highest in antioxidants. So the health benefits of the tea plant itself. And it has, it does contain caffeine. Green tea um, sometimes in the Western cultures, we tend to think green tea a little bit bitter. 
so we like to add sugar and honey to that. So green tea might not be the most popular here. As our West, as the Westerns, we really love black tea. So black tea is plucked at the same time the green tea leaves are plucked. But the difference is, is it's been laid out and it's been mulched and fermented. And that's what changes the color of the tea leaves. And it also gives it the most caffeine benefits. Now that fermenting process also kind of diminishes some of the um, antioxidants that the green tea leaves carry, but they're still there, just not as much. So you're still getting the healthy benefits of drinking tea, but you're getting a smoother, richer, bolder flavor that we are most familiar with. And that would be black tea. And black tea is um, also common to put like cream and sugar in it, doctor it up a little bit, kind of a breakfast tea. And uh, it's a little better with cream and sugar than the green tea. Okay, so then that leaves like yellow tea, which is in between the the process of white tea and green tea. And it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a rarity. It's not a really popular tea. It's a little more spindy. And it has, um, it has been you know, plucked and then dried, kind of like if you put like a swimming pool on the grass, you know, kind of turns yellow underneath. So it's wilted like that. And it too has lots of antioxidants, um, has a vegetal kind of floral flavor to it. And it too has caffeine. And I also talk about um, a pura, which is a which is black tea, but it has been um, steamed and pressed into cakes, and it has been aged. So that has a high caffeine content with a real rich, earthy, nutty, almost chocolatey kind of flavor. You'll see those either in like little tiny wrapper wrap or up to big parts, like eight size that are wrapped up. So that's the pura. And then let's see, how many is that? Four, five. Um, I talk about a few other teas. Teas get their names from all different regions of China and how they are um, cured and processed. Like Lapsang Souchong, I really like that tea. And it's just um, a tea that has been cured over a pine fire. So it is a black tea that has, has the flavor of smoke to it. So I talk a little bit about that one in the book. Um, herbal tea is not tea at all. It's just been called a tea because of the way you steep it. So it's kind of been lumped into the tea world. But if you ask me, I think that herbal tea is probably older than any of the teas going back century upon century. You know, oh, this smells good. Let's brew it up and drink it. You know, who knows what our great, 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 great ancestors did. But um so that's just a kind of a cap on the kinds of teas that there are. We can get really into it by the different regions of where the tea is grown and the different names that they might have. But there's really just green tea, black tea, white tea, yellow tea, puers, and herbal teas. You talk about the health benefits of tea in your book. Uh, do you want to discuss that for a bit? Sure. So there's, let's start with green tea and the weight loss craze. Green tea has the ability to curb your appetite. So it keeps you um, kind of focused and not thinking about being hungry. It doesn't actually fill you up and make you not hungry anymore. Green tea has this wonderful way of keeping you energized 
without crashing you down like um, coffee may. It is a um, tea that is filled with antioxidants. So it helps to fight off the free radicals that are constantly bombarding our bodies like pollution and um, illness, you know, constantly coming at us through the atmosphere, through internally. Green tea has the a benefit to go in, help repair your cells, help really work with um, creating a healthy vibration from the inside out. And back to the weight loss thing is just really focused. So if you're focusing on getting tasks done and focusing on working and focusing on whatever it is you're doing, it takes away from the mindless eating and munching. It's kind of how that, how I see that. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. You talk a little bit in your book about Earl Grey tea, which is one of my favorites. Can you discuss that for a little bit? Sure. So Earl Grey was um, presented to the Earl Grey in England um, back when um, tea. Okay, so there's so much history with tea. I mean, just so much. So there was a, a point in time where tea in England was very, very rare and you could barely get it. Only the aristocrats and the affluent people had the ability to um, get get a hold of, tea, afford tea and drink tea. It was often kept under lock and key. It was a very spindy, spindy thing. And um, that was due to the fact that there was only one port in China that tea would come out of. And so, you know, China's a huge country, but only one place this tea would come from. It came down from the mountains, it would get on these ships, and then it would take forever to get to China. And so this went on for a couple hundred years, you know, the scarcity of tea. Then with the, um, like the opium wars, which is a whole other fascinating facet to the tea world, um, England won this war and was able to open up more ports to get tea to England and to the West. So this particular tea, Earl Grey, was invented for the Earl of Grey, and it's a perfumed tea. It's a black tea perfumed with bergamot, which is in the citrus family. And this was offered as a gift for having a wonderful tea relation and tea trade. Because after these ports had opened up, much tea was able to flow and more and more people could afford the tea. So it was very prosperous for both countries, for England and for China. So this tea was a gift and it was given and then it kind of swept the nation. It had such a beautiful, delicate floral flavor. Everybody loved it and it became quite the, the sweeping tea. Uh, Twinnings now owns that original recipe. Uh, I don't know a um, tea shop in England, London, Europe, anyway. Um, 
So they actually have that main recipe that they sell, but almost everybody has a good Earl Grey. Earl Grey is, um, I think, really special because it not only does it have this beautiful floral flavor, but it has the aromatherapeutic benefits of bergamot. And it also has the ingestible benefits of bergamot. And bergamot has the ability to uplift your mood. It has the ability to um, kind of keep you out of the blues, out of the, out of the dumps, per se. And there was a study years ago, and I, I don't remember I don't remember exactly, but I remember hearing about the study comparing Seattle to London. And, you know, they're similar latitude lines, lots of rain. And Seattle is Starbucks country, so we're coffee, 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 build you up, crash you down. And Seattle has um, 20 times the suicide rate as London does. So they attributed this to the tea time and drinking of Earl Grey. Because even though it's just as rainy and just as gloomy, the tea doesn't crash you as hard as coffee. And with the aromatherapeutic benefits of bergamot, it has really helped to stable out moods and to really stable out depression. And so I think that Earl Grey is really a great tea for wintertime and any time the day is gray and rainy to enjoy a tea. We often see in media tropes uh, that say that Americans shouldn't brew tea. We don't know the right way, quote unquote, to brew tea. Is there, I know there's a lot of debate on the right way to brew tea. Uh, what is your opinion on that? And what do you think the right way to brew tea is? Oh, I'm probably gonna get in trouble here, but um, <laughs> no, I think that there are definitely proper ways to brew a cup of tea to get specific flavors out of it and specific color and you know there's definitely the art of tea brewing but I also believe that if you boil some water and pour it over the tea and you drink it and you like it you've done it correctly I think that too much is put on the exact temperature the exact water I mean water is really important I highly suggest a nice filtered water with tea or a bottled water as opposed to tap water but if all you have is tap water then brew it up i think that sometimes people get really snobby over how to brew tea and they're missing the point of just enjoying a really good cup of tea that's my opinion i'm a um big tea drinker i love tea and i you know like many people i have millions of boxes in my house and I like to make my own blends. There's a company online where you can do kind of uh, fandom-based blends online. Do you ever blend your own tea or do you make your own tea blends? I do. I own a tea company called Kitchen Witch Gourmet, loose leaf teas and specialty spices. And so I blend teas all the time. Um, if I, so I would say that I have 40 blends that I brew and, and blend and sell online at kitchenwitchgourmet.com. Shameless plug there. Um, we'll put a link to that in the bio. Thank you. And so, yes, I do. And I also um, just randomly throw things together at home, too. Um, I might do a nice black tea and there might be an orange peel sitting on the counter. So I might, you know, peel that orange and throw in the orange and um, enjoy tea that way. All right. And then... 
I love a good high tea myself, and I, I love to have I love to go to tea parties or go to tea shops and you know drink tea with the sandwiches and everything. Do you like tea parties, and what do you like to serve when you have one? I love tea parties, and I'm a sweets fan, so I love scones and jams, and you know the savory is good too. Um, really, I love food. I love to eat, so. I like tea parties with girlfriends and family members. So you can just really sit and enjoy your tea and enjoy the snacks and enjoy the food and just the whole ambiance. You know, when tea parlors came of age in the 1800s, it was one of the only places that women could go to enjoy tea with their friends without being accompanied by a man. And so that gave a lot of freedom to uh, women of the time in the Victorian era to go and have, have tea and social outlets without having to be chaperoned. And just a side note, like the big Victorian era hats, like those big hats, those mm -hmm. were kind of big so they could turn them so they would hide their face so they could avert any unnecessarily attention from, from men. So oh. that's kind of a side note, just one of the, one of the reasons the hats were big like that. Tea Magic was is your first book. What was the process like um, pitching it to Llewellyn, and what did what did you think about the process? How did you find the process of writing your first book, and uh, what did you think about when you got that first copy in your hands? Wow, so there's a lot to unpack there, Dean. Yep. So let's start with the process of writing the first book. Um, you know, because I do own a tea company and I do keep a lot of notes on my tea and on the, on, in a journal about, you know, what we're making, what we're brewing, how we're, how we're serving it, how we're selling it. That became pretty easy. We are, you know, kitchen witch gourmet. I am a witch. And so that just began naturally to be tea became just a natural medium that I started using beyond the tea leaf reading, but using tea as offerings to ancestors, to deities, you know, using it as um, sometimes you can bless your tea, put it in your mojo bags, bless your tea, put it out in front of your doorways, just depending on what you're, you know, using in a magical realm. And I'm really one of those very spoiled, spoiled, lucky people that, you know, had all these notes put together and I was doing a lecture at this event called Pantheacon in San Jose. And it was a stellar lecture. I had packed the ballroom. There was at least 250 people there, standing room only. And I was giving a class on tea magic and how to use tea magic. And just happened to be my good dumb luck that um, acquisitions manager for Llewellyn was in the audience. And they came down to my booth the next day and said that they really enjoyed my class. And have I ever considered writing a book? And if I had, they'd be interested in publishing it for me. So I was very spoiled in the fact that they already wanted what I had to offer. So then I had to sit down and go, oh, wow, how do I put this together in a book form, not just random little snippets of 45 minute classes I'm teaching. So I had to, you know, start from the beginning, start with the history of tea, start with how to brew it, the types of tea, and then move into the mystical part of tea. Like, for example, if you're using a tea bag 
and you're at a you know coffee shop and you have an a question that you want answered and you can't quite figure it out, using a tea bag is a perfect pendulum. So if you need a yes or no answer, you can just pick that tea bag up and begin to vibrate on the yes or no question that you're asking. So put I put that in there and I just it was it was a little bit scary for sure. You know, I've never written a book before and I just started doing it one page at a time. And I, again, was really spoiled because uh, Llewellyn came to me in February of 2020. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to find time to write a book? I'm so busy with running my tea business. And then this little thing called COVID came along and shut the world down. And I was like, oh, well, I'll write a book. So I had <laughs> the time to write a book. And so just, you know, being a magical person, I was like, well, that just can't be more divine. So I just one page at a time and finished it up. And it took a while to get, um, I, I finished the book, but it took about a year to, for them to get it out. So then there's been a year of anticipation, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. When I got it in my hand, um, they sent me one copy of the book and I was, I opened it up in the, in the warehouse where we work and everybody wanted to touch it and everybody wanted to see it, but I didn't let them. I said, no, I need to touch it and read it myself first and then you guys can see it. So I very much was a little greedy with it and wanted to check it out and um, see everything that was actually finalized and put in print. So I kept that to myself. It's a good looking book. They did a really good job with it. I'm excited about it. Thank you. I really love the content in it. You mentioned um, offerings to deities of tea. Can you talk about that a little bit? I'm very interested in the idea of that. Sure. So let's see. Um, I'm going to start with Green Man. I know this okay. guy doesn't, you know, might not be the deity we were thinking of, but, you know, Green Man, he um, takes, we all have, like, we all have elements outside in our yard, in our garden, whether it's Green Man, right. whether it's Bloodwood, whether it's the fairy folk, whatever it is that we attract. And sometimes I think that it's important to offer tea to Green Man, who is taking care of our lawn, our bushes, who is keeping our so our, if you are a gardener, it's definitely some, definitely a deity that you want to honor. And so I often leave tea out for him. And sometimes just the tea leaves also. Like when I am done with the tea, I dump out the leaves and then I'll go and turn that into the soil and give that as an offer. If I'm working with somebody, you know, like, like, I don't even know who am I working with, like Sirdwin or Hecate or, you know, whatever it is that you're working on with a spell or just asking for guidance. Sometimes it's just nice to bring them a nice hot cup of tea, set it on the altar that you have built for them. Or even if you don't have an altar for a deity, it's nice to just have a cup of tea you know I offer you this tea I share with you this tea come and sit with me as I ask you for your guidance and you can insert your own deity that you're working with there I love that thank you I'm going to use that like that thank you of course 
I want to ask you um, one last question, and this is hopefully a fun one. It might be a little bit tough, though. If you can invite anyone from history or current time, living or dead, to a tea party, who would you invite? Oh, my gosh. It just depends on my mood at the time, right? <laughs> Holy smokes. How many? How many? One, two, three. How many? Uh, six. Six, six, let's say six, six, but you know, give or take. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, if I were to invite these people, first I'd invite my friend April, then I would invite David Bowie, and maybe Princess Diana, just because it would be lovely to see her shining face. Um, I think I would invite my great grandmother, and I would invite, um, well, I don't even know. Who's living that I want to hang out with? <laughs> well, my friend April is living. Um, I would just be happy to have a surprise guest in there too. So I, I don't know who I would invite. That is a tough those question. People. It's yeah, a those, question. those people, I would invite this, I would invite my friend April and David Bowie and then we could chat about music and, and Ziggy and then, um, yeah, I don't know. That sounds like fun. David Bowie alone would be enough. I, I, what a wonderful guest that would be. Right? I could say somebody like Jesus, but I, whatever, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I probably wouldn't invite Jesus to a tea party, but he might be interesting to talk to. Janae, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Tea Magic is out as of last week. It's available at all better bookstores and you can buy it online. We're going to have links in the bio. Janae, thanks for being on the podcast. I hope we get to have you on here again. Thanks, Dean. I'd love to. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
That was my conversation with Janae Marion Tate about her book, Tea Magic. On Friday, we're going to be speaking with Leah Sue Kiroga and Cami Kim Lin about their book, Serious New Cook, Recipes, Tips, and Techniques. That's going to be on Friday. I look forward to having you hear that conversation. I really get a, enjoy getting a chance to talk with both of them. I hope you're all having a wonderful new year and you're getting a chance to cook some really great recipes, maybe from a, an author that you've heard on this podcast. Until Friday, keep on cooking. <music>